Welcome to Adventist Voices. I'm Alexander Carpenter. Thanks for listening to Spectrum's podcast. We've been doing this basically every week for over a year now, and it's great to get emails from you or uh, chat about uh, future uh, conversation partners with those of you who uh, reach out. This week, I'm honored to be sharing a conversation that I had with Rick Rawson uh, about healthcare and its future and what role it can play in the social realities of today. Rick Rawson is the president of the Adventist Health Institution partnership with Rideout in Northern California, and he has over 30 years of healthcare experience. He was the president and CEO of the Feather River Hospital in Paradise, CEO at Loma Linda University Medical Center in Marietta, and was the president and CEO uh, over several hospitals and uh, dozens of clinics in uh, Central California. Uh, He's someone who um, goes beyond the numbers and really casts a radical vision for what healthcare can be like uh, and um, focuses uh, in this conversation on racism and how we can uh, move beyond just um, the uh, body to think about how we can make humans whole in the uh, social and environmental uh, areas as well. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and find it provocative. And if you have any feedback on it, feel free to leave a comment on the Spectrum website or email me at acarpenter at puc.edu. Thanks. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. Welcome back to Adventist Voices. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I'm joined by my friend, uh, Rick Rawson. Thanks so much for talking with the Spectrum community today. Oh, you're welcome. So I have a good memory of you. Um, uh, We were off to play golf, and you wanted to not really talk about golf on the way to the course. Instead, you wanted to talk about the social gospel. And I feel like that is such a definition of where your vision lies. Can you just, before we jump into talking about uh, COVID and healthcare, would you mind just talking about how you came to be that type of person? You know, I think it's a, you know, a lifetime spiritual journey of growing in and trying to be, you know, what what we're meant to be, what we're being called to be. It really comes back, uh, for me, to personal purpose. And, um, you know, when I, when I think about, you know, the command of love and the, you know, the essence of Jesus' ministry was loving without boundaries. Uh, it was inclusion, not exclusion. It changed the way I saw everything. 
and um, it changed the way I led in my organization. It changed the way I thought from a strategy perspective of how we should show up uh, in a community uh, providing healthcare services. Um, and it changed the way that we see uh, the things that aren't working in the world and feeling more compelled to make a difference in them. But most of all, you know, how do we as representatives of God, uh, as followers of God, um, and from my perspective as a Seventh-day Adventist, how do, how do we represent the character of God in what we do? Um, and learning and growing into that is the work of a lifetime. Um, but that to me informs, uh, it informs everything, uh, and it challenges everything because, um, that pushes us out of, uh, our comfort zones. Um, it really pushes us out in many ways of our traditional competencies. Uh, to better understand what does that mean as we face a world, uh, a hurting world, um, a divided world, um, a place where people are excluded or not included, and working even in the healthcare industry in a system that doesn't work as it should and could be much better in terms of connecting and loving people. Yeah, I I love that you're willing to uh, both critique and also um, to create uh, along with that vision. Um, do you mind if we just check in and see how you're doing? I know that you have uh, been impacted by a couple of things, of, cur- of course, um, the coronavirus. And um, would you mind just talking about um, how how that's been going for you, the people that you work with and the institution you lead. Right. So, you know, here in uh, Yuba city in Marysville or what we call the Yuba center region of Northern California, um, we're located about uh, 30 miles North of Sacramento. Um, we have an opportunity uh, to serve a diverse uh, uh, community uh, here. And I think um, as Adventist Health is engaged in this community, you know, we've had a lot of opportunities to really understand what it means to live live our mission, uh, that our mission of uh, living God's love by inspiring health, wholeness, and health, hope. And uh, being a fairly new hospital, a new community to Adventist Health, it's been a great journey to watch how... Um, how our teams and staff at this hospital have really begun to personally resonate uh, with that mission in a way that is impactful uh, to them as individuals. I think it gave their work new context. And, you know, a lot of that's been challenged significantly with, uh, with the coronavirus uh, pandemic uh, that we've uh, had to deal with this year. And, uh, you know, we've been through a lot of change in the last uh, couple of years, um, but when this came, obviously this was deeply impactful to um, to our country, to every sector of our economy, and uh, really to the healthcare system in general. Um, 
you know, resiliency is an issue that um, we think about self-care, you know, spiritual care for ourselves as well as for our, our co-workers. One of the uh, things with coronavirus that's frustrating for healthcare professionals is there's just not a lot they can do. Um, they They can do what they can to help keep people alive, to keep people healthy and help their bodies fight this off. But compared to what they're able to do for other diseases uh, with antibiotics and things like that, it's been very frustrating uh, for them to deal with. So we've put a lot of effort on thinking through issues around resiliency. Uh, we had a new chapel we were getting ready to open. We turned it into a resiliency center where people can just get uh, a respite, um, quiet place. We have prayer groups there, meditation groups and others. Uh, that come together just to, you know, during their breaks uh, to connect with each other and kind of find strength and and why we're here uh, as we deal with this. But for the most part, I've been very proud of of, um, of this organization, this community, uh, in terms of the leadership they've shown. Uh, and, and among the challenges we faced, uh, our community was a little later uh, in the curve. Um, it certainly hit Southern California and obviously New York and other areas before it got here. Uh, but one of the things we experienced here was a um, a lot of controversy. A lot of people didn't believe it was real, that it was a hoax. Um, there was a lot of controversy over mask wearing. And then when we reopened uh, up the first time, uh, I think people felt there was no no danger. And then that's when we began to see the spike in cases uh, uh, and the deaths that we have had to experience here in this community. Um, one of the interesting things through that experience was that uh, a lot of the early debate um, in the community that many of our elected officials had to deal with was uh, arguments over um, public health orders and uh, mask wearing. And, um, you know, one of the things that we were able to do is we found, we got about 25, uh, physician, uh, and healthcare leaders in this community to sign a letter. And at that time, the whole issue of social distancing, mask, and public health orders was about compliance versus freedom. Mm-hmm. And what we did was basically tell our story that, you know, we're dealing with people right now. In the hospital, I would say over the last six weeks, we've had between 20 and 30 COVID positive patients in our hospital uh, at any given time. And we wrote this letter to the community that I think really shifted the dialogue to a large degree. And that is that wearing masks and social distancing is not about compliance uh, with an order. It's not about giving up our personal freedom but it's an act of love and compassion to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, and then our community. Uh, and I think that helped us as a community turn a corner a little bit. I was just proud to be, uh, to be part of that. That's great. I like that reframing. You know, I, America's communities are so interesting. Once you um, dig deep into them, um, the sort of surface uh, fights uh, spill away and you find these really interesting characteristics that 
are connected to um, where the immigrants uh, who founded the communities or live in the communities or are coming to the communities uh, these days um, bring with them. And so I'm, I, I know in your community you have a large South Indian population. Many folks are of the Sikh faith. And I'm just curious how you lead a Adventist healthcare organization that ministers to folks who come to it with a very different set of beliefs. What sort of common ground do you find? So, you know, that, that part um, is fascinating because I think when Adventist Health first affiliated with Ride Out, uh, there was a concern on part of the board that um, being sectarian or a, a faith-based uh, or faith-driven organization, um, that we would be exclusionary towards the diversity in our community. As you mentioned, probably a third of our population here is uh, is from the Punjab, and most are of the Sikh faith. And um, you know, I think I think there was some concern that. Um, that would be left out. But our view of our mission and the gospel of Jesus was one of inclusion. Um, you know, and I think the gospel was not about who was in and who was out, but it took, it took the, um, it took the hierarchies away from, uh, the connection with our creator and with God. And, um, and I feel like that's what our mission has done. I would say that among all of our, uh, our stakeholders in this community, the, um, some of the people that resonated most with our mission are our Sikh, uh, our Sikh associates and physicians. Um, I've had the opportunity to have dialogue with them, uh, interfaith and their, um, cultural center. I've had the opportunity to learn a lot more. And what's interesting is that the Sikh religion came out um, of sort of the exclusionary caste system of, of the Hindus and uh, and basically the us all or none uh, view of the uh, of their Islamic neighbors, and really developed a religion based on love and generosity of the community. Um, you know, Guru Nanak, who who was the first guru. Um, if you read his writings, there's some tremendous similarity to what you see from Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount and this idea of inclusion and, and moving away from, you know, who, who's important and who's not important. Everybody uh, is important. And it's very inspirational to see that. And as we talk about how we live a mission of living God's love, uh, it lines up perfectly with the mission that they are on uh, in their cultural uh, context. And that's been one of the most rewarding things for me to see here is how God's love uh, can transcend cultural boundaries. It, it can transcend tra uh, sectarian boundaries uh, and is something that pulls everybody together in a new way of connecting as a community. Wow. Thank you for going into detail. I love that you have taken the time to read some of the writings of your um, community there. You know, um, you mentioned uh, in your first um, uh, kind of uh, 
discussion about how you understand the social gospel, uh, you use this term, um, work of a lifetime, which I thought was a, uh, you kind of slipped in there. And of course, it reminded me of theology courses um, and Adventist thought in which we learn that sanctification is, of course, the work of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> but you were using it in a much broader context. And, um, you know, one of the, the, I think the things that is part of that sanctification work is um, understanding racism and the way that it's structured throughout um, American society. And that includes healthcare. You know, we've had um, the George Floyd <clears throat> protests, and we've had a lot of of discussion about racism um, outside the church. And I'm curious, from your perspective, what do you see the, as the connection between you know Adventist healthcare and this discussion about equality? Yeah, so let me let me first address. Um, I think the impact in in healthcare, and I think what what the pandemic has done is expose what's been broken all along in our healthcare system. Um, it's shown significant gaps between a healthcare delivery system that we tell ourselves is the best in the world. And a public health system, which should be interconnected and integrated, yet at the same time, we found was uh, sorely lacking. And we found ourselves up against the disease that, um, that the best care in the world really didn't have the tools to fight. And we started looking at public health and saying, well, they have the tools to fight, but as a country, we've underfunded it. We marginalized it, um, and now we're, we find ourselves in a situation where that disintegration in our system has hurt us badly. What it also exposed is something that many of us have been aware of, um, but there probably has not been enough awareness made or discussion of um, because it makes us uncomfortable, and that is the health inequity and health disparities um, that we see in our healthcare system. Um, COVID-19, when we age adjusted for, uh, for mortality rate, black Americans had a 3.8 times more likely than white Americans yeah. uh, to pass away from this disease. American Indians, 3.2 times. Hispanics, 2.5 times. These are shocking numbers. But these numbers have existed all along when we look at chronic disease, when we look at infant mortality. Um, and frankly, not enough was being done um, to address the, some of the root causes as to why, why it's okay in our, in our system of care. You know, what's interesting is that access to health care or health insurance for that matter in this country has always been tied to, to employment. And so without employment, especially males, um, prior to uh, expansion of Medicaid programs in certain states under the HCA, um, healthcare was not accessible, especially preventive healthcare that 
help prevent chronic conditions. And, you know, now with COVID, we see what the impact of that is, that these are people who most likely worked in necessary uh, jobs. Uh, they were our, you know, the cooks, the bus drivers, uh, the people, the sanitation workers, the people who made our life, make our life possible through the value that they create in our economy. Yet we find we have a major gap in how we actually take care of those people. Yeah. Um, and when, when the George Floyd, uh, uh, situation happened and I, it, it was interesting because we've been talking for a while about how we move funding upstream, how we address social determinants of care, you know, that we're sitting here with a very expensive healthcare system trying to fix what's already broken in, in a society and people without making the investments that are necessary. And I was uh, reading, you know, uh, there's this, you know, provocative thing out there about defunding the police. And, you know, it was shocking the first time I heard that. But when I started reading what that was about, you know, I think it is a provocative name. But when you read it, no one's really talking about doing away with police. What they're talking about is the exact thing that we've been talking about in healthcare, And that is moving funding upstream from trying to deal with what police are not um, able to deal with but in pouring more and more money there versus putting money up into social services, mental health, and those kinds of things, the very thing that we know that if we invested more in, in healthcare, that we would be able to reduce per capita cost of care and improve quality of life uh, for people, especially those that are most marginalized uh, in society. And so I think for me, this has really exposed something that is not and should not be in silos, but is really integral into American life. And if we really want to increase health and well-being, the health and well-being of our communities needs to be measured by the barometer of those that have been most marginalized in our communities. And, uh, and lifting that up and addressing what are the, some of the issues that we've had. So we've been working on informing ourselves, our teams, we've, hosted some webinars to better understand, you know, how do we go forward and not just going back to what we used to do, but how do we use this pandemic as a pivot to really rethink how we show up in communities? How does Adventist Health make a community a better place to live and a safer place to live because we're here? How do we show people that love transcends um, perceived divisions and that it connects us all as human beings in a, in a fundamental way that improves the health and well-being of all. How do we become richer because of our, the connections and diversity we have in a community versus keep, you know, keeping ourselves behind fences and gates as a, in essence, putting ourselves in our own self-imposed prisons, uh, to create an illusion of safety. Wow. Well, do I hear you saying defund healthcare? <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to think of healthcare very differently. Sure. Um, you, you know, we've built up a system around buildings and expensive equipment 
um, and expert model um, to the exclusion of building a system around what is that adds value to the human being. If you're sick, we add a lot of value. If you're you know, in a car accident, if you need heart surgery, uh, there's a lot we can do to keep you alive, to save your life. Um, but I think many more people in our communities are suffering from from mental health issues, not knowing what to do when their kids start isolating, um, how we how people experiencing homelessness um, are are being impacted by the way uh, the way our common economy allocates its resources. You know, how do we think differently that healthcare is about what adds value to the human life versus what adds value to our business models that are there helping people? We somehow we turned what should have been the most relational product uh, in the economy into a transactional model. And I think what we've got to do and what our mission calls us to do is completely rethink our business model to a relational model of care. You know, 200 people come into our emergency department here today. Uh, that's 200 opportunities to build relationship for a lifetime um, in which we can maybe add value to uh, the health and well-being of people's lives uh, before they need us for acute care. And, you know, I'm haunted often by how many times we let that opportunity um, get by us. And I think what our growth and our mission has to be is when we talk about living God's love by inspiring health, wholeness, and hope, you know, how do we bring that to everybody, regardless of their social standing, their, their racial uh, background, their cultural situation? Because God's love is transcendent to all of that. And we, as agents of that, uh, need to do a better job of learning what that means. Wow. Well, I really resonate with the vision you're casting there. And I think I'm on board with your uh, defund agenda. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think it's a way of moving, you know, moving money where it, creates more value. You know, I, I don't think anybody, you know, wants to do away with hospitals. You know, obviously that's the business that we're in. Um, but, you know, I can tell you a lot of people end up in our hospital because the services they needed at some point weeks or months before were not available to them or they didn't know how to access them. Sure, That's what we need to do a better job of. Well, it's been great talking with you. My final question is, you since you talk about this um, uh, mission, uh, the last word in that mission is hope. And I'm curious, as you look at um, the landscape of Adventism and its health message uh, connected to its institutions, what uh, gives you hope out there? What do you see changing maybe in the church that uh, offers you a sense that the, the work that you do will be carried on um, into the future and, and, and make a difference. I think what gives me hope is that a lot of the divisions we suffer from uh, either within 
petty conflicts in the church, uh, competing visions of what the church is or what the church should be. Um, whether it's the political landscape of the country we live in uh, that seems to be getting more and more divided, um, to realize where our identity is. You know, how we all have a list of identities. But being children of God, being human beings is that number one identity. And it needs to transcend all the other ways we define ourselves. And I think once we really see that our connection with other human beings comes before anything else and any other affiliation we have or identity we claim that separates us from love, that separates us from living God's love uh, in our interactions with others, um, that becomes exclusionary and how we're special, better than others. Anything like that, I think, takes us away farther and farther away from the heart of God. And I think it's being close to the heart of God that we begin to transmute um, his love into all our interactions. And those barriers and those divisions fall away uh, because we're living in into that hope. To me, that hope of that connection um, of, of being being an effective agent um, to others, to building better communities, more loving communities, that gives me a lot of hope. Uh, because I think when, when we live in and grow into that, and it's not always comfortable, but as we grow into it, all these other differences and frustrations we have tend to fade away and, and become very petty and less important. And, and that's the place I want to live. Um, that's the place I want to continue to grow into. And, um, you know, those are the discussions I want to have. And what I find is um, that really makes the difference. Of, and gets to what purpose is. It gets to what, you know, God has called us to do. It's what Jesus tried to um, get across to us. Um, and I, I think, um, to me, that's really the essence of it all. Yes, I agree. Thank you so much for sharing that vision with uh, us today, and I um, wish you all the best in your continued work. Okay, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate what you're doing as well. Hey, thanks. And Mike. advancing these arguments uh, within our church so uh, and these discussions. So thank you so much, Alex. All right, onward and upward. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear.